On today's episode, we talk with restaurant owner Saya Bowen about what it's like to take over a business and run one of the most popular small restaurants in Albuquerque and what kind of effects that can have on one's personal life. Me being here, I saw how much it was working and uh, I knew it was it was taxing. And so when we came back, I think I ended up, because um, I hadn't, at this point, I, you know, I have no sort of professional cooking experience or anything. I just, you know, what I knew was what I, what I observed and saw, you know, I, I knew pretty, I know, I knew well how to, you know, wait tables and sort of the management side of it, um, payrolls and financing and things like that. But I, you know, had no clue what really the back of the house looked like, you know. Uh, hello, everybody, and welcome to Humanity Tskudu. Uh This is our fourth episode, and we are speaking with guest Saya Bowen. Uh, the uh, look, I'm, are, are you the? Would you consider yourself the owner at this point? Uh, yeah, technically, uh, it's myself and really my wife, Linsuk. So we both kind of co-own it at the moment. Okay, the the the, the owners, yeah. co-owners of Magokuro, uh, which most of you know is my favorite restaurant pretty much ever <laughs> i mean and say you know this i'm there several times a week when i can be um simply because it's i mean curry i'm a curry fan yeah you know i mean you uh, come you come often but you've also been coming for a long time a very long time in fact uh, that's uh, sort of where i wanted to uh, to start with this is i can remember going to this place since at least I feel like 2007, if I'm not mistaken, uh, your dad uh, was primarily there. I remember seeing him and, uh, if I'm not mistaken, your mom working pretty consistently. Yeah. Um, yeah, basically, I mean, my the restaurant's sort of the origin. Um, I mean, it was a family business, you know. Uh, sure. so we were all kind of there um, in between sort of work and, or, you know, school for me, really. Uh, but my mom had originally started this restaurant, uh, really under the name Kokoro. Kokoro, uh, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we used to we started off as Kokoro, uh, and that was in two thousand and seven, like you said. Um, and uh, I mean, I was still in high school then. I was a, I think, a sophomore in high school, uh, maybe going into my junior year. Uh, and so I would be just like with my other siblings kind of helping after work. So that was my daily routine. I would, um, get off school and then I would get on the city bus, uh, get to work, you know, um, I'll get there around, you know, three o'clock and I'll be waiting tables at night. Um, and then on the weekends, whatever sort of my mom really needed. Sure. So, okay. Cause yeah, that's right. I think I remember you had, um, a sister who helped occasionally and, uh, in the early mm -hmm. days, cause this is right around the time when I had purchased my business. So I was actually mm -hmm. doing business meetings there at the time. Um, while we sort of like, you know, sort of that stuff on our end, but I remember, uh, yeah, your sister, if I'm not, how many siblings do you have? So I have an older sister and a younger brother, younger brother. Okay. Fascinating. All right. Yeah. Uh, but you're the one who decided to continue pursuing the restaurant portion of things. Kind of. I mean, yeah, it's a little bit more complicated than that, of course. Sure. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, my mom, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, people kind of confuse sort of um, who owns this place, who does what. And uh, I mean, originally, I mean, so my mom started this business in 2007. Um, she had actually I mean, she's actually uh, went to culinary school in Tokyo uh, at a like, young age. Um, so she she went to culinary school and she'd been working sort of in kitchens. Um, she kind of moved to America uh, as sort of a missionary through kind of her church uh, organization mm. that she's involved with. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and through this organization, that's how she kind of met my dad. Um, but my mom basically kind of did odds and end jobs, primarily working in restaurants. Um, but she came to a point to where really, I mean, she needed a more of a stable income. And so she decided to open her own business. Um, and that actually happened to look like a, uh, like a sushi restaurant. Uh, so at UNM, I'm not sure if you're familiar, um, they do sell like packaged sushi. Um, uh, my mom actually is the person who originally started this. Uh, this was in, oh man, oh, I'm getting my time, probably around 2004, 2005. She wow, okay. uh, started this, yeah, business at UNM. She basically went there and, and um, kind of basically borrowed a little corner of their um, their kitchen uh, that makes all those sort of the foods for catering and uh, all the stuff for the little Mercado, the the markets uh, at UNM. So she basically was, um, brought a little portion of the kitchen. She was rolling sushi and packaging it. And then we would distribute those sushi to all the different um, little stores around campus. Um, so there's about, I think, four or five campus around <coughs> UNM. So that's where she would, we would package, she would make them in the morning, package them. And then um, we would basically put them on our bicycles. I would help doing this with my dad. We would have uh, little bicycles rigged with the little baskets in the back and so we would load them up with a bunch of sushi or coolers you know and uh we would cycle them to different um, grocery stores that on campus drop them off and then um that's what that's what my sort of my mom did for a while um my dad really he's also has a little background in food um but he was basically running his own little business um selling flowers uh and that's kind of yeah, my mom and him actually did that for a long time before, you know, her deciding to open up her own business. Um, but that's kind of how she really got started. Um, I think about three, two, three years after she started her little business at UNM, um, she basically got kicked out. She They weren't going to renew her contract there. Uh, and so, you know, she just needed a way to support her family. And um, the next thing, the next sort of progression was basically opening her own restaurant. Uh, and so that's how this place came to be. Um, we've been at the same location for all these years. Um, and so next year is really our 16th year. Um, this space used to be a, uh, like a loan place. It's like a title loan. So it was an office building Sure. and, uh, she came in here, uh, and she went up it into a, into a restaurant. Um, and that's not cheap. That's a, that's quite an yeah. go down. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's a big risk. I mean, it was kind of an interesting story there too. I mean, my mom, of course, is an immigrant and, um, you know, there's, you know, a lot of, she had a lot of time, hard time getting really the finances to really start her own business. So she went to the bank, but she was denied multiple times. And so what she ended up doing, um, the, the only thing she could actually do was put it all on credit cards. So what she did oh, was, wow. uh, yeah, she took, um, she took out, I think seven or eight credit cards and kind of financed everything on the credit cards. Um, and she's just really good. She's really good with money and uh, bringing these kind of things out. And so that's what she did. She kind of spread it all out on seven or eight different credit cards uh, and kind of managed payments. Um, and that's how she started this little shop. Oh, gotcha. And so well, now, I mean, you are sort of the the um, grandfathered in entrepreneur now to the business. Are you running like finances or like uh, how how deep is their involvement now? Or is it basically you're just doing this and they're hanging out at home um 
It's it's hard to say, you know. I mean, I'm doing, you know, my wife and I really kind of been doing everything here, but you know, my mom start, again started this business. I mean, she's been kind of out of this restaurant for uh, at least two years, but really more like three, four years prior. You know, uh, I never really imagined myself staying here and doing the restaurant like i said i mean i was doing this kind of in between school and um you know i started doing high school in my sophomore junior year so i would come home uh instead of going home i would come to the restaurant you know do my shift and that was the reality for my brother and sister so we would all kind of take turns different shifts um my brother would be working in the back actually with my mom and i would be up here you know waiting tables and same with my sister um and my same with my dad too. I mean, so we would all kind of take turns taking shifts. So I would come <clears throat> home from school and, you know, um, would leave my dad and then he would go home and I would be here and then you yeah, have take turns. Um, my sister had the right idea. She got out kind of early, you know, she had the <laughs> she had a chance to get out of the restaurant. Uh, and so she did. And so, you know, for a long time, it was just myself, my brother, um, my father, my mom, you know, the four of us really kind of doing it, taking turns. Um, but I never really saw myself staying here long term. You know, I thought this was just, um, you know, something that I did for now. Uh, but things kind of worked out a little differently. I mean, my mom is the only child. So the restaurant, actually, I mean, we started in 2007 and we were not, you know, very popular back then. I mean, we would be serving maybe one or two people every day. Sure. And that was sort of the reality for a little while. Um, and... You know, it was the restaurant was really sort of my home. You know, I spent more time at the restaurant than I did anywhere else. And same with my mom and my brothers, you know, my brother and sister, too. So, you know, it was it became this place where we all kind of came to um, connect and communicate, fight. I mean, there are so many fights that happen in these walls, you know. I can only imagine. Um, oh, it's hilarious. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, there's I mean, there's so many you know, memories and things sort of tied to here. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I didn't even, I mean, I'm not really a trained chef or anything. I mean, I went to school really for fine arts and that was kind of what I wanted to do for a long time. Okay. Yeah. That's actually what I was going to ask is like, how much uh, experience did you have uh, with, with business in general before it sort of just became part of your life, you know, cause obviously if yeah. it's a business in the family, if your mom has been doing it, your dad has, you know, run a business, you get a little bit of experience through them but eventually you just sort of learn it because you're exposed to it all the time. And now, I mean, since you've been running this place for, it seems like quite some time, you've probably got a pretty good grasp on exactly what you need to do and how to run it. Um, how's, what's that been like for you, especially since you didn't go to school for this, but you just sort of learned it mm -hmm. along the way. Yeah. Um, I mean, my mom, I mean, my, my mom cooks all the time at home and you know, she's, she has, you know, she's, she's a chef. And so, sure. um, you know, we cooked a lot at home. We, and I picked up a lot of things at home. Um, Did she make you curry at and, home? Uh, no, we actually, that's not hilarious. <laughs> cause I mean, my mom actually, you know, she, when she was going to culinary school and, um, and working in sort of uh, different restaurants after her schooling, she really wasn't interested in Japanese cuisine. I mean, her background really is in sort of French cuisine. That's what she wanted to do for a long time. And so she kind of worked in that world um, in, in Western cuisine. So she wasn't really cooking um, Japanese food at home. I mean, really, she would make these amazing meals at home, but it wouldn't, it would, it would rarely be, you know, Japanese. Out of seven days, you, you know, we might have Japanese maybe twice or something like that. Um, 
and five days of the week it'd be something different um and she loved sort of cooking different things um so it'd be anything from you know pasta to meatloaf to you know you name it she was kind of doing it um so that's kind of how i grew up i mean i grew up eating uh, a variety of different things um not just japanese cuisine rarely japanese cuisine um yeah and that's how i mean and so i've been we picked up a lot of things cooking with her at home and uh, my dad also has actually gone to sort of culinary school and you know he was also working as a professional chef so you know there's uh kind of influence on both ends um but i think you know i never wanted to be in the restaurant or and there, again i've never saw myself doing this for a long time sure um I got really interested in photography um, sort of at the end of high school. Uh, when I got into UNM, that's uh, kind of what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a photojournalist for a long time. So that's why I was kind of working towards. Um, and then when I got into, when I was into photography, I realized that it wasn't really photojournalism that I was really interested in, but really in the world of fine arts. And um, so that's what I did I in, in college as well. I was working for it. I got my BFA at UNM and I was actually applying to um, graduate school uh, in fine arts, the focus in photography, but um, so I was looking to go into different schools and applying to different schools for my MFA. Um, but that's, you know, it didn't really work out that way. Um, right. Uh, I understand completely. I went to school for animation and I've used it almost not at all. And now I'm doing what I do. So I was curious, like, is that something that at any point you've ever sort of felt resentment for? Because I mean, I'm sure you love the business because you get to do something mm -hmm. that's really important to you and the family. But also, it can be kind of difficult, I know, to sort of have like a goal in mind. And then when that doesn't happen, like it does kind of linger in the back of your mind, you know, like the what if, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, that's all I kind of, I mean, before I really, um, Graduating uh, UNM with my BFA, I was, you know, I was just so focused on making work, making art, and uh, I wanted to be an exhibiting artist, and that's what I was doing. I was making my rounds. I was applying to different shows. Um, I was getting different shows, so I was exhibiting in Santa Fe. Um, I was exhibiting. I had some exhibition in China, um, and then around around the country here, you know, some solo shows and things like that. Um, so that's what I was really focus in you know um that's what i really wanted to do my mom i think has a hard time understanding this too um what i really wanted you know um i think she was really concerned that i wasn't going to be able to make a living uh as an artist um that never really can, yeah it's a typical you know asian sort of mom thing but i you know that was something i was never really concerned about um and you know with the restaurant that was um so in 2000, and I think when I was 24, so about 2014 is when I graduated. And so I basically took one year off, um, kind of went to Japan, was making sort of work. Uh, at the time, I mean, the restaurant has, um, you know, the timeline of the, the restaurant is kind of, kind of wonky and a lot of people don't understand. Um, basically, we opened in 2007. My mom actually left for Japan um, about 2011 2012 so my mom is only like a single child she had basically moved back to japan to kind of care for her um, parents i mean they were mm. other parents and so during that time you know i was only 2021 20, um i basically myself my brother um and partially my dad i mean the three of us kind of basically managed and run the restaurant together and so it was about i think two years of that time um 
the three of us kind of ran the business without her. Um, and we had basically hired like a Japanese chef and, uh, you know, it went on for about two years or so. And then, um, it all kind of came to a, to a stop. I mean, we, at that point, um, you know, my mom was still in Japan, wasn't sure when she was coming back. We we're all sort of kind of burnt out at this point, you know, um, and at this point, we basically decided to um, close the restaurant and we actually ultimately were going to sell the restaurant. And so uh, at this point, I was basically still in school. Uh, I was managing the restaurant at this point, um, but also going to school full time. So uh, I was, you know, I had a lot on my plate. I was doing, you know, easily 40 hours, more than 40 hours here at the restaurant while going to school full time. And, uh, and, it was an incredibly difficult and challenging time, but, uh, you know, so we decided to basically sell the restaurant then, um, had a buyer kind of fell through. Um, and so I was managing this whole thing. I was trying to look for uh, a buyer. I had no idea what I was doing. You know, I was only 21, 22 at this point, And I had no idea what I was doing. I was just practically looking for people to buy the business and try to navigate that world. Um, you know, hiring lawyers to draft contracts. And, but I, you know, I had, at this point, I mean, I have no ex really experience in doing any of this. You know, I was just kind of winging it all. And uh, I think my dad wasn't really helpful in any of this. And he kind of kind of pushed it all on me, sort of, okay. in my... Yeah, and, you know, my brother, being younger than I was, is, was uh, even lost than I, than I was. So I basically kind of took charge and um, tried to sell the restaurant. And, and I couldn't find a buyer. Um, and so we were kind of stuck with the space. Um, and we just kind of decided to kind of hold on to it for a while. Uh, I was just about to graduate, maybe in about another year or two, uh, college. And so what ended up happening was we just ended up holding onto this space and kind of paying rent for uh, for a year, year and a half, something like that. Uh, went to school. And then by that time, my mom had sort of uh, figured things out back home in Japan and was able to come back. Um, but so we had basically taken about a year, year and a half off, the, off of um, the restaurant work. I mean, it was closed and was just sitting here for a while. Um, and then my mom, I mean, at this point, my brother, you know, kind of moved on, found, uh, went back to school, got a job as a pharmacy technician. And my sister, of course, has been long gone at this point. My dad has, um, you know, kind of started up his own sort of flower business, uh, doing his own thing. And so, um, I was the only one sort of left. And, uh, I, at this point, I mean, I kind of knew what I wanted for my life and it was to go to school, you know, um, being a working artist and that's, that's all I had imagined. And so, I was in this phase where I just got out of, you know, done with my BFA and I was looking for uh, MFA programs. And uh, I found a great program that I wanted to go to. Uh, it was the Art Institute of Chicago. And uh, so that's what I was going to pursue. I mean, that's why I started to uh, work on sort of my application. At this point, my mother had came back from Japan and, um, you know, obviously naturally she was going to reopen the restaurant. And since I was here, I was like, you know what, I will, I'll be here. I'll help. And let's do this together for a while. Sure. And so that's what happened when we reopened the business. Um, and we kind of changed things around, changed the menu a little bit. Um, and, uh, so we restarted the business and I was here and it was her and I, you know, um, doing it together. Um, and then taking some yeah. time away from the business, having it closed for about a year, sort of like renewed a perspective on like what it actually meant to you, because maybe once it's closed, at least for a little bit, you kind of like start to miss it. Or you think of like, well, what could I do better if we were to return? Because mm -hmm. I'm sure you didn't know you were going to return to it. But uh, did, did that sort of like shift a perspective by saying like, 
oh man, like if only we could have done this or maybe next time. Did that, did, did, did being closed sort of shift your perspective? It, it did. I mean, it, I think, you know, when we came back, we kind of changed the menu around altogether. I mean, there were things that were working work when wasn't working, you know, uh, and it was really clear to me. I mean, at this point, my mom hadn't been at the restaurant for at least two years, but I was here and I was kind of seeing what was happening and, and realized, you know what, there's, you know, there's ways to probably do it a little bit better. Um, and, um, you know, the reality is my mom started this business late. I mean, she was uh, 50, I guess 52 or so, you know, when she started this business. Um, and so what I saw was, you know, her being gone for two years and then coming back and reopening the restaurant, it, you know, she really was getting there in age and had a hard time working the hours that she was. I mean, restaurant work is brutal. I mean, we're here, you know, minimum, you know, you know, 80 to 90 hours. I mean, that's just what it takes to run a business or at least a restaurant, you know, mm -hmm. and um, me being here, I saw how much it was working and uh, I knew it was, it was taxing. And so when we came back, I think I ended up, um, cause I hadn't at this point, I, you know, I have no sort of professional cooking experience or anything. I just, you know, what I knew was what I, what I observed and saw, you know, I, I knew pretty, I know I knew well how to, you know, wait tables and sort of the management side of it, um, payrolls and financing and things like that. But I, you know, had no clue what really the back of the house looked like, you know, uh, only from what I can observe. So, but I thought, you know, I easy enough. I mean, I can probably do this. <laughs> so, and it wasn't even really a question of whether I can do it or not. I just, I just felt this obligation to, you know, help as much as I can. Cause I saw my mom having a hard time, you know, Really, I mean, she would be she would be sleeping in between shifts. I mean, we'd have the you know lunch shift and take maybe an hour, two hours in between, but she would be completely just crashed out, you know, just exhausted. Um, seeing this, it was just heartbreaking. I just uh, couldn't have her keep doing what she was doing, uh, and I knew that it was time for me to kind of step up and try to help as much as I could. And so that's what I did. I went to the back, and um, uh, my mom is a you know she's kind of a she's a hard person sometimes to get along with, you know, she has a lot of pride and a lot of, yeah, I mean, just, she's a tiger mom. So it's, it's hard to, you know, it's, it's never seems like it's good enough. Um, so, but I, but I went back and I, I tried to learn as much as I could from her. And then as I started learning, um, I just got really invested in it. I mean, that's just my personality, I guess, is that, sure. you know, it's not like, it's hard to ever say if I really love doing what I do. You know, it's, I, I don't really know if I ever have the answer for it. You know, it's like, some days I love it, some days I hate it. And um, I was going to say, I, I feel like it kind of, it can change. I mean, depending, because even if you love yeah. doing it, that doesn't mean it's not difficult. And when it's difficult, you can still sort of like feel frustrated and stressed out. But also that doesn't mean you don't love it. You know, I yeah, think it's sort of like this exactly. very flowy kind of emotion uh, with with the, the good and the bad, you know, because it is a it is a, a, a very yeah. sort of spectrum kind of thing. Absolutely. And it's more complicated when the family is involved, you know, and you sure. can't tell if you um, if you're just mad or angry at your like at my mom and, <laughs> or, or that I actually hate this restaurant or it's all tied together. It's hard to understand where it starts and begins. And um yeah, I mean, that's, so I basically started taking over as uh, much as I could. Um, but again, I was, you know, I was still focused on art, and that's what I all had in my mind. And so I was applying to grad school, so I went to, I had an interview with the Art Institute in Chicago. Um, that was my, and that became sort of my dream school. Like, I was set on going this to this place. 
And I had kind of told my mom, you know, hey, this is what's happening. At some point, I won't be here, you know, and it's kind of what I try to kind of ease her into it. Um, Around what time was that when you were sort of still thinking about pursuing other stuff? Was that 10 years ago? um this was yeah closer to 10 years it must have been at least seven or eight years ago okay um yeah and so and again i never i never saw myself staying here and doing this for as long as i have you know i it was never really what i what i had planned for myself um mm-hmm. uh and i've always kind of thought this was sort of temporary and i was going to pursue my own thing um and so yeah i mean i applied to grad school and uh i got into this program but what happened was I didn't get in with the a sort of a scholarship that I was kind of hoping for. I mean, it's an incredibly expensive program. Um, so I was, I was, you know, static that I got into this program, but I really couldn't at the end of the day afford it. And so came back to, I mean, I was, you know, I was, I went to Chicago to interview, came back and then a couple of weeks later, find out I got in, but then I was in this boat where, well, I can't afford it. I didn't really have a plan B. I was kind of, you know, I put all my eggs in one basket and yeah. I was like, what do I do now? And um, <laughs> so I just, you know, I just kind of stuck around and, and I was just going to keep making work and, uh, you know, and so maybe pursue graduate school in the next year. Um, but, you know, what sort of happened was, I think at this point, you know, again, my, I was already taking a lot of responsibility at the restaurant. I was working here uh, at this point, really in, in the back of the house, I wasn't really up front anymore. Um, I was kind of learning the back of the house, learning how to cook. And, you know, we've had a lot of great people, you know, come through here, but we also had our share of, you know, unreliable, uh, you know, people. And it became kind of difficult to, um, you know, find good help in the back. And so I, seeing this, I just knew that I needed to take a little bit more responsibility. And so that's what I ended up doing. I started taking over basically all of um, sort of the responsibility of cooking in the back. I was kind of learning from my mom and some other people as we kind of went along. And then soon I was just really fully invested and learning as much as I can. You know, I started to buy a bunch of like uh, cooking books instead of buying art books, it became sort of cookbooks. It became um, this obsession of just going down, reading anything I could, watching every YouTube thing I could find or, anything on the internet, uh, you know, really going to different restaurants, looking how people work, how chefs like, you know, uh, moved around the kitchen. Um, I just became just so into figuring out what was happening all over the country and what food looked like, you know, what Japanese food looked like, you know, it became an obsession where I saw this development of Japanese cuisine in the nation and how people were, using Japanese ingredients or Japanese techniques in a new way, how people are redefining um, sort of Japanese cuisine in the American context. And it, and it became so fascinating to me, you know, um, it, I have an obsessive uh, addictive personality. And so I, I just became addicted in all of that, you know, it became from everything from like Japanese knives to techniques to people. And um, I don't know, I just started kind of seeking maybe the art in, in that, you know, um, and that just became my obsession. And um, when I knew it, I was kind of uh, maybe more into the restaurant than my mom was in a certain way. You know, I think um, I had a sort of a different perspective and then maybe a different also hunger. I just, um, yeah, I just completely invested myself into this thing. And um, 
yeah, and here we are. And I think it helps also like when you're young and you sort of have like that energy and desire, because like you just said, you know, the this is an art. And so while it might not have been the art you envisioned, you're still creating and you're still creating experiences for people to consume differently, you know? Um, and I think it's great because with with food, you are giving somebody an experience that, I mean, it cannot be felt by like viewing art or seeing art. It is mm -hmm. something that you get to give. It's like this very visceral, you know, we all need to eat. So why not eat something that tastes magnificent? And um, uh, what, what what's kind of cool is that, again, being a small business owner is you get the opportunity to try things out. And to be able to say, hey, we're going to try this thing. And if it works, maybe we'll continue to pursue it. If it doesn't work, it goes off the menu. And sort of like fine tuning what it is that not only you excel at doing, but also what you truly enjoy. Something that, you know, is, is the juice worth the squeeze. You might have like a cool recipe uh, on, on the menu that you, you try it out for a month and you go, this is awesome. But it's way too much work and way too few people order it or something like that. But also not, but uh, gosh, a month and a half ago, two months ago, you know, you said, hey, John, do you want to try this smoked bacon curry? And obviously I only order curry from you guys. And it was sort of like, whoa, 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 there's a new, there's a new curry in town. And mm. you get to try this brand new recipe. And obviously, I mean, I've ordered it exclusively <laughs> since you've debuted it. Um, but it's cool because you get the ability to also once again, create. It's something that you get to try. You've tried many things. You've um, also, I think, toned down your menu somewhat significantly from what it used to be. But I think that can be a really huge advantage because you're not, you know, opening it up to like so much variety that becomes overwhelming. But you're saying, well, here's like eight dishes that we carry and we can do all of them really well. Instead of 16 dishes, we do sort of like loosey goosey because there's too many to choose from. Is that something uh, when it comes to like designing the menu or trying things out? Uh, I know you did the cheesy tonkatsu curry, which you took off the menu at one point. You were doing like these, I think, truffle fries for a little bit. And those were sort of like a limited time thing. Um, what's it like sort of trying stuff out only to find that it's either, oh, it's a little bit too much effort or like, what what does that look like from the chef's perspective? Yeah. Um, I mean, really, we had a pretty big menu and we were doing something, um, playing it safe, you know, for a lot, for, for the most part. I mean, we were serving kind of things that people really wanted us to serve or wanted Japanese Japanese restaurants really serve, you know, and that looks like tempura and things like that. Um, when COVID happened, though, um, we basically shifted gear. I mean, it became sort of impossible to serve certain staples like tempura. You know, it doesn't really travel very well. And so we had to shift gears and figure out, well, what travels really well, what's simple, what's fast, and what's cost-effective. Um, because it became... it. You know, we, we just didn't know what was, you know, sort of the kind of people coming in for certain things. Um, so that really kind of put us in a different gear to um, challenge ourselves to rethink our concept a little bit. Uh, during COVID, of course, we did like a COVID menu where we were only serving, I think, like six items or something. And uh, but it really allowed us to focus on, you know, just staples and um, work on those things um, and it also really kind of allowed us to allowed me to kind of rethink our restaurant altogether you know um, I've always yeah I mean I think people for example I mean we used to serve sushi here you know and I think we were probably one of the first Japanese restaurant here in town to stop serving sushi 
Um, but it was also that's also because I I didn't think that it we needed to. You know, I think Japanese food and Japanese restaurants are kind of pigeonholed to doing certain things. You know, uh, making certain foods, um, and that happens to be tempura or sushi or teppanyaki, something like that. Um, but it, I also didn't think it was the most delicious or um, the most cost-effective thing to do. Um, and so COVID kind of gave us the excuse to do it. And then um, what happened was I think I saw the market sort of changing too. I mean, I, you know, what we always thought people came in here for a certain thing. Um, when we didn't offer that certain thing, people kind of readjusted and, and maybe put more, gave us more sort of trust um, to serve something different. Sure. I think people or restaurants get um, scared of not serving the same thing because I think, you know, once, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the same way when I go to a restaurant, I'm having the same thing. And if I can't get that certain thing, would I go somewhere else? Um, but I think our customers have been really good. I mean, I think, we, I think maybe we've earned their trust maybe um, sure. to try different things and, and you know, um, yeah, just to kind of, go all out and do something different outside of our comfort, you know. Um, my sort of concept and feeling about food, or at least here, has always been kind of this meeting point, you know. Um, I, you know, my mom, is, again, didn't, wasn't uh, trained in Japanese cuisine. I mean, she wanted to do French cuisine. And so growing up, that's, you know, I had a lot of different sort of <laughs> food that she would cook, you know. And so my upbringing wasn't that. So it was almost unauthentic to me to, try and cook um authentic japanese cuisine you know it became i was less interested in that you know i wanted to see sort of the cross-section of like where does japanese cuisine meet sort of uh, western cuisine you know and not in the way of sort of fusion but really uh, thank you to sort of my experience you know um so that's kind of you know kind of where i went with it i mean a lot of the things on the menu are really really about that exploring that sort of space in between you know um, I like to kind of think about it as a kind of a corner, you know, because a corner really is is a point of two planes meeting. And that's kind of how I see sort of myself and my upbringing is really two different cultures. And, and I'm always sort of exploring that space in between. You know, I've had always a hard time, especially in Albuquerque, you know, finding sort of who I am, you know, being a half Japanese person. And it's it's difficult. It's challenging. You know, I've lived... My Japanese is my first language, and I lived in Japan. Um, you know, big chunk of my chunk of my childhood, I lived in Japan, um, but I never really felt like I belonged there. You know, I look different. I, I, and so my name is different. You know, I have a, I have, I'm, you know, I have a Japanese first name, but a English last name, and um, it's. I've never really felt that I belonged anywhere. And here in Albuquerque, I, you know. You don't look at me, look, think Asian or anything like that. You know, I kind of get mistaken for being Hispanic or Mexican. And so my identity has always been sort of confusing. And um, but I think that's kind of how what I'm exploring now in food is what is sort of that meeting point? You know, what what is sort of authentic to me and uh, what is it? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of that's sort of been my thing for the last couple of years um, and cooking food in between. And so the bacon curry is kind of exactly that. I mean, um, it's it's kind of interesting. I mean, like we um, that, that dish is basically a it's 
we've been serving this sort of potato salad called the Benton's Bacon Potato Salad. And uh, it's this bacon that we buy from uh, Benton's. It's, they do hams and bacon, things like that, um, from Nashville, Tennessee. And so uh, I heard about different sort of chefs talk about this bacon, and um, I decided to order a bunch of it. And, uh, you know, we started making this sort of like chili oil bacon grease uh, dressing, basically, that we kind of toss our potatoes in. Um, and, um, the curry is basically exactly that. We basically take the same sort of bacon, um, and we render it and then we just kind of mix it and fold it into our curry, uh, with some other things, um, you know, cream and things like that. Um, and that's, that's all really what the, what the bacon curry is. But again, it's, you know, um, kind of thinking outside of the box of what Japanese cuisine could be, um. And, you know, I'm still kind of thinking about Japanese, I mean, smoked, smoking food is, is huge in Japanese cuisine. A lot of people don't know this, you know, like um, katsuobushi, for example, which is what we use for uh, our dashi, you know, and it's essentially it's just dried, uh, most of the time mackerel, it could be different fish. Uh, but what they do is they dry and smoke it. Uh, and so really, when you have miso soup, you're really actually, you know, consuming something that's been smoked. Uh, that's origin, you know, katsuobushi. Uh, for so, you know, I, for me, when I think, you know, smoked bacon curry and stuff is like kind of out there, not really Japanese, but I think conceptually, the in the concept of or the technique of smoking is really very much part of Japanese cuisine. So I do see sort of these connections that I'm drawing, or I think I think I'm you know trying to draw um, that may um, go unnoticed or over people a lot of people's heads, but. Um, sure. Yeah. Okay. So d does this make you, because I feel like the, the smoked curry bacon, as far as I'm concerned, has been a hit, but I also don't know from your perspective, how many people order it and what the feedback's been to me, it's like, you know, the ultimate chef's kiss, but does this give you more poise to possibly do more experimental stuff like this in the future to not only say, you know, we've got our Japanese staples, but like we want to pizzazz it just a little bit more and give a more unique sure. look and unique offering into, you know, what this food can be. Does that give you sort of more creative ideas for stuff in the future? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm at this like kind of interesting point in my life where um, I'm not really interested in necessarily cooking Japanese cuisine or, you know, I'm just, I just want to find the next most delicious thing. And um, oh, sure. <laughs> that's kind of what I'm saying. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of the philosophy my mom had always had, you know, starting this business is that it's always food first and before anything, you know, um, if it's delicious, who cares? And that's kind of what we've always sure. thought, you know, um, and, uh, and that's kind of what I think we adopted more here uh, recently is um, why not just cook things that we want to cook? Uh, and if it's delicious, that's it. I mean, and people, you know, I think people, again, come here with a certain idea of like, well, I want Japanese cuisine and I don't think you really get that here anymore I mean we do still do a lot of kind of regional cuisine you know in a lot of ways and we still you know have staples here but I think now we're at this point of wanting to push the envelope a little bit more maybe just cook for the sake of cooking you know and not be so concerned about making Japanese cuisine um, mm -hmm. I think that's really more true to sort of my mom's vision as well you know when she started this business and um yeah, I mean, I, I, that's kind of how I see food now. You know, sure. Well, it reflects very much on the name of the restaurant, which is now Magokuro instead of Kokuro. Mm -hmm. Kokuro meaning, I believe, heart. And yeah. Magokuro is sincerity. 
Exactly. Yeah. We were, um, we, so my mom, when she started this like sushi business, we were, she was called, calling it Kokoro Foods. Um, mm. And so when we opened this business, it was, you know, naturally we'd call it Kokoro Japanese restaurant. Mm. Uh, but there was another Kokoro in Denver. And so we were basically one day we got um, a letter in the mail from the lawyer saying, hey, you got to change your name. You know, we have we own the rights to this thing. And uh, own the rights to a Japanese word. That's what they're trying to pull on you. Yeah, exactly. And so we're like, well, shoot, you know, like, um, we're like, well, what do we do? You know, uh, we obviously have to like change your name. And so, um, what we did, we just changed my Kokoro, which is, you know, Kokoro is basically one, uh, kanji, one character, mm-hmm. uh, and it means heart or soul. Um, Kokoro is basically just another character placed in before, um, the Kokoro. Um, which now really means with a pairing of two characters, it really means sincerity. And so for our perspective, it felt um, like a good compromise. It felt like we were sort of leveling up, you know, or becoming something a little bit different, which was what we were, you know, we were something different at this point. You know, we weren't so focused on serving traditional Japanese food, um, but kind of transitioning into something different, um, something more interesting, I think. Um, Yeah. And drawing on different sort of backgrounds and and techniques and um yeah, wanting to say something a little bit more interesting. So with with the restaurant, and you've been doing this for a long time, you've been involved for 15 years, but you've sort of been off and on for the first uh, handful. With all of it, what's the, what's the biggest struggle that you faced? I mean, like, you know, there's highs and there's lows, but like sometimes in the middle of things, you're just sort of like, God, I just want to give up. Like, it's just something is, it's yeah. too overwhelming, or you don't know where to go, or you don't know what to do, and you just simply maybe in a moment just feel like I can't do this. Like what, what did you ever have a moment like that running this business where you're just like, I just, I don't know. I don't know what to do. All the time, dude, all the time. <laughs> I mean, like, I would say that I probably feel like that more than I, more than I don't. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it, there's so many highs and lows here, you know? Uh, and I think it's true about probably every small business, you know, um, you know, one week it'd be amazing. You know, you feel like you're on the clouds and everything is working out. Um, and then the week after it'd be different, you know, someone can't work, come to work or, you know, it's, I have a lot of sort of, you know, personally, you know, with my own sort of demons, you know, um, it's, it's hard to, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to feel like you're doing a good job. And, um, I don't know. I have so much, it, it's so hard because I think I have so much invested here, you know, so much time and so much history here. And, um, and I take it probably way too seriously, you know, and it's hard not to, because it's, this is my everything, you know, I've have invested, right. I've been here more, you know, half of my life here now at this point. Um, so there's a lot of sort of invested and um, maybe I'm a control freak. Maybe I, I, I don't know what it is. I, I have, I know I have certain expectations and um, and a lot of times when I fall short of that, it's hard to stay positive or, you know, I, it's interesting because I think, I think a lot of business owners may, may um, feel the same way, but I, I do have this fear that everything's going to end, you know, like today's my last day of business and I wake up and I get a bad review and that's it or something, you know, it's really, yeah. and, <laughs> and it, you know, it's, it's um it's it's a hard thing to it's 
I, and I think about that every day, you know, um, I literally think that the restaurant's closing every day and it's unreasonable. I know that, you know, and it just, that's not how things work, but, um, I do feel uncertain or scared in a lot of times, you know, and, uh, it's hard sometimes to get over those sort of fears and, and, um, yeah, and keep going, keep making work, uh, or keep making food here. Um, I don't know. I don't have an answer. I'm in this sort of, you know, in a, in a weird place now, you know, I'm kind of, I always feel like I'm kind of in a, in a rut or something. I I don't know. It's, it's, hard to really describe this feeling well there's sort of almost i want to say like a blessing in that it's because every moment as a small business owner is uncertain i think it's exciting because like you you hopefully you love what you do despite the highs and the lows but also like you don't have infinite capital you don't have like any sort of guarantee you don't everything is so nebulous and up in the air all the time that like it really could change overnight and there's almost like this thrill I think in that and by saying like every day I've made it, like I've done a good job, but also you might wake up in the middle of the night with a phone call that's, you know, like uh, you got broken into and then they had to deal with insurance and then it's very demoralizing and then this or that or the other and it sort of avalanches. But every day that you get a chance to go into work and actually keep doing it is a good day, but it's scary because it's so uncertain. And I, I don't know. I think the uncertainty I don't like it exactly, but it makes me yeah. appreciate a lot of the, you know, every next day, as long as I'm still there, I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. I think you got to be a little, little crazy to, you know, be in the restaurant biz and in the I small restaurant even imagine. Yeah. I can't and, even uh, imagine. Yeah. I mean, I mean, for us, you know, we're, we're tiny here and we have a, such a small staff and, you know, it's hard to um, find covers and things like that. I mean, we, we take a lot of days off, I feel like, you know, and, and things, certain things happen. And I think, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to stay positive all the time. And sure. I, I, you know, doing this for so long, I think I, I think you definitely get better at managing that stress. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, burnout is, is a real thing. And especially in a, in a restaurant, it's, you know, I, you have to kind of find or find people to talk to uh sort of support groups like you have to be having a community i mean those are the thing you have to have the people to kind of fall back on and, and ask for help you know um especially sort of emotionally mentally you know um we've been pretty blessed here to have you know good friends who are also in the business you know who we can kind of talk to um yeah, I mean, shout out to the shop. Uh, Is and Paula at the shop. They've been really great. Ihotog has been great. You know, Nobu-san there and Yuko-san. Um, and so we're kind of blessed to have that. But it's it's an important thing, I think, again, to have a community of people, you know, um, who are in the same boat who can understand what you're going through. Because it's really easy to feel like you're alone uh, in all of this. And, like, you feel like people don't understand what you're going through. Um but it's just nice to be able to find that community and people who can give you sort of support and, you know, yeah. 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 You rely on the good experiences because uh, it's inevitable. You're going to get somebody who's not going to quite understand, or they're going to, you know, you might even have a bad day and it's fully your fault. Sometimes like it's just going to happen. We've all been there and um, you know, it's, it's, it is sort of a mixture. If you were like an exclusively good place, I'd almost sort of like wonder what weird like voodoo you have going on to make it like so nobody ever complains. 
But <clears throat> I think what I like about it as well, too, and uh, I get this from both you and Hunsuk, is that, like, there is a lot of love that goes into your your business. And I think as a small business owner, you have to sort of have that. You have to have this level of passion, despite the the hard times, because it's it's almost sort of like what you create for people in terms of food or art or whatever it might be is an extension of your own philosophy and food if people make food begrudgingly or like just without sincerity it's not going to taste good it's not going to be a good experience because it simply just exists to exist rather than it exists to provide or to give or to share with somebody else um and so I want to thank both you and, you know, Hunzik, especially for your hospitality and, you know, welcoming nature of the business, because I think as far as I'm concerned, there's a philosophy, I don't know exactly what yours is, but that extends into your creation. It It is very much part of what you guys do and what you have built the store to be for yourself that uh, you can taste, you can feel. It is a labor of love. And no matter how difficult that love is, it is apparent. And that's why I love supporting you guys so much. I mean, when it comes to uh, just what it is that means something to you, that means a lot to you, like you seem like a very wonderfully social person. And um, I'm just sort of curious, what is it about uh, your your business that overlaps with with your philosophy, your take on life? I mean, I, I'd imagine mm -hmm. they have to intertwine. What, what does that look like for you? Yeah, I mean, um, it's a weird question, I know, but it's <laughs> no, no, I told you. I mean, we used to have a sign up here, um, and I think it said something like honestly made or something like that. Um, yeah. but that's you know, that's that's what it is. I mean, you know, um, and actually at our dessert shop around the corner, um, we also have that sort of like uh, made honestly kind of on our walls, um, but that's kind of our philosophy here is that like you, you know we're kind of making things with a lot of love and a lot of care um and that's you know that's how kind of we've always said you know you can really taste love in food you know and i hundred percent believe in that you know um and that's kind of how my mom had always done it you know she had poured a lot of love into everything she'd done here and the same with me and, and hunsuk i mean we 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 really just pour everything that we have in here you know um there's not a day that i don't come in here and um and I'm not giving it all. There's just not a day like that. I, I, you know, even when it's at my lows, it's that's not something that I've ever been. You know, I, I'm here to give it everything. You know, and I want people to, to love everything here. You know, and um, hopefully be able to taste that effort and, and, you know, that we put into it. Um, it's kind of you know the way I think you know my mom has also raised me and, and how I sort of approach. Uh, you know, my life in art, you know, it's really about making something that is, you know, thoughtful and authentic. And, um, you know, it has to be, it's almost, I don't know, I kind of see sort of art and food in the same way that like, I want it to be almost like an onion where you sort of peel back the layers and examine what's, what's the inside, you know, and mm -hmm. every layer has a, has goes even further. And, um, you know, that's kind of how I, want to make food here and I want it to be thoughtful. I want it to be, um, you know, not just because something, you know, one, obviously that has a taste good, but it has to have that sort of complexity, you know, and that's why, you know, I talk about sort of the Benson's bacon and, and the curry and the smoke things. I want it to have more, um, 
context and, and, and kind of draw these lines, you know, of, of okay, well, here is something that is very really un-Japanese, but it is sort of very Japanese in some ways. And, you know, and having that sort of thoughtfulness in food, you know, um, um, yeah, I don't know how, yeah, I mean. <laughs> yeah, that, that's fantastic. That's exactly it. I think your authenticity uh, is noticed. And I think that's really the best way to create any sort of art, because if you, you know, pump things out, you know, for the sake of numbers, it's very different than saying, I want each of these experiences mm -hmm. to be wonderful on their own. Yeah. And you can tell, you can very much tell. So you said you grew up in Japan um, mm -hmm. and you were born in Japan. Is that correct? So, no, I was actually born in Santa Fe, but I moved oh, gotcha. to Japan yeah, as an infant. Um, so I was probably in Japan from the age of age of one or two all the way to about second grade. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, uh, and so Japanese was my first language, uh, and then coming back to Albuquerque or Santa Fe originally. So my my mom basically uh, moved back, moved to Japan. Um, you know, took us kids, and my dad kind of stayed here for a little while. Um, so we moved to Japan. Uh, she was from Niigata, Japan, and it's a little town called Narachi, which is kind of coastal. Uh, and so it's, you know, my <laughs> grandparents were, um, they raised cattle. And so um, grew up <laughs> in the countryside. Um, and uh, my mom was just basically helping raise cattle uh, with my, my grandparents. Um, and so when I was about uh, second grade, we moved back to uh to the states uh, originally to santa fe uh, and then uh moved back down here to albuquerque uh, and uh so then i had to basically you know learn english uh, second language mm -hmm. uh yeah and i've been sort of been here since uh, i would make you know trips back to japan uh every almost every summer um to kind of see my grandparents and we'd spend you know the good portion of the summer there summer break so it's about two months of the year Mm -hmm. uh, my mom, I mean, we didn't really, you know, we grew up pretty poor. And so my mom, uh, you know, would my parents would work really hard, save enough money to be able to send us kids back to Japan, you know, uh, to, you know, spend time with our, with our grandparents, make sure that we didn't forget our Japanese and, you know, uh, just kind of, you know, get back to our roots. Uh, so we'd spend about two months there. And during that two months, we would, uh, you know, we'd just be in the countryside. There's nothing there, you really, you know. Um, so we'd be most spending most of the time outdoors, uh, riding bicycles. We'll be fishing um, at the ocean, and just a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure, just being kids. That's fun. So, and we'll we'll sort of like return to this a little bit later. But when you were growing up uh, in well, both America and Japan, apparently, um, I, got, I always got to ask: Did you play any video games? Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, of course, man. I mean, uh, you know, Pokemon, I mean, of course, like the Game oh, Boy. Oh, absolutely. I can't even imagine. Uh, I mean, the, the popularity in Japan of that was, like, worlds beyond. It still oh, yeah, is, totally. you know. But, okay, so you grew up with some, some Pokemon in Japan. And uh, did you play that with uh, people back here in North America, too, when you came came back? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it was cool because we had sort of, like, the Japanese versions of everything, you know. And so oh, yeah. uh, people would be... Uh, you know, I mean, we, for example, like, I think, I think, was it the green version that you couldn't get here or something? Correct. Yeah. And so we would have like the green version and people are like, Whoa, what is that? And we're like, Oh, this is a Japanese. <laughs> and this and that. Um, oh, that's cool. I feel like it'd be much cooler now. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't too cool back then. You know I mean? I think we kind of, 
kind of hid the fact of, of being Asian or Japanese, you know, because it was sure. very uncool. You know, it was really uncool to um, be Asian, I think, when I was growing up. You know, I would I feel like I'd be ridiculed a lot of times, you know, um, boots and stuff that I would have. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't cool to be Asian. Uh, I, I personally try to hide the fact that I was Asian a lot of times, you know. Um, I just remember, like, my mom would... Uh, would come and uh, pick me up, you know, at school or something. And this is probably in middle school. Um, but uh, I would, you know, I, I would wait to see who's picked me up is whether it's my dad or my mom. And uh, <laughs> if that's my mom pulling up, I'm like, oh my God, I would basically like run. And so that she wouldn't um, come all the way to, to the, like a pickup zone so I can get in the car. And then once I got in the car, I would kind of, you know, lean my seat back so that she, so that like other people couldn't <laughs> see me. You know, and see my mom coming through. Um, and it, I mean, people sort of, I think, you know, when people hear Isaiah, they think Isaiah. And so maybe a lot of people oh, okay. are distinct by now all times and, you know, thinking I'm maybe Hispanic or Mexican in origin. And sure. so when they see my mom, a Japanese or Asian, they're like, you know, people, <laughs> my friends would give me a lot of shit about it, you know. Um, and so, because it wasn't cool, you know, I would, uh, my mom would make um, some like Japanese food a lot of times, you know, like little rice balls and things like that to take yeah. to school. Um, but it would be the most embarrassing thing. So you'd have to kind of hide and eat your lunch so that nobody would see it. Um, and this is about sort of in grade it. school is what you're thinking? Yeah, I feel exactly like in, grade in the mid 2000s to even late 2000s, I think it started to become culturally more sort of sought after. Anime was getting bigger and uh, as video games started to become more mainstream. So I wonder if there was sort of like a shift at some point in which that like sort of changed for you. Is that something you noticed at any point? You know, um, not not so much for me, honestly. Oh, no. okay. um, yeah, I didn't see a lot of people. I mean, there were certain people who thought it was really cool, right, for me to be Japanese. And sure. there were just, a, you know, a couple of people at school um, who, uh, who thought differently. But most people, I think, didn't care or um, had made fun of me a lot of times, you know, for being Asian. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was something I was definitely self-conscious about growing up. Fascinating. That's an interesting challenge because yeah, I felt like Japanese, especially, you know, with, with anime and video games had sort of like this, this very strong draw to it. Um, but also, I mean, I'm sure that was uh, reflected by your experience in Japan where you felt very out of place. So maybe it was sort of your consistently sort of like wondering, where do I fit in all the time? You know? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, people who are, you know, um, or halves, you know, or have always kind of struggled with that because we don't neatly fit in anywhere, you know, right. and it's, and it's, I think I'm always trying to looking for sort of my belonging, you know, where, where can I neatly fit in? Who are my people, you know, and in Japan, it's here, I identify as more being Japanese than anything, but in, in Japan, and I identify as being American, you know, and, and white, and it's, it's sort of this balance. And I never found myself neatly fitting into one or the other um and it's yeah it's challenging it's it's really hard to it's really hard um do you think owning the restaurant and uh uh having japanese cuisine and like even the name do you think that's allowed you to sort of like lean into your heritage a bit more uh without so much like fear as you had grown up with it yes and no i mean you know i think I think, you know, in the Japanese community here, um, I think they maybe view me or in the restaurant um, as being sort of unauthentic and um, mm. not really Japanese. 
Uh, I get that a lot here. Uh, I'll have a lot of people sort of looking in the kitchen, uh, looking at me. Uh, I had once one experience when this one guy came to say uh, that he really enjoyed the food, but when he popped in the back of the kitchen and saw me and saw everybody else who weren't Japanese or Asian, um, was confused. And he was like, you're not Japanese. And I was like, no, I mean, I don't it's always kind of a hard to, you know, say, well, I mean, it's hard. It's, it's, it's hard to really, you know, um, claim sort of my Japanese heritage and say, yeah, I am Japanese or, you know, because I, it's always, I felt like an imposter, you know, sure. um, and, uh, I feel as an, I feel as an imposter, uh, cooking too, you know, I'm not, I'm not really a chef or a cook and um, I've never had a formal really training in it, mostly sort of self-taught or taught by my mom. And so it's always kind of this thing where um, I have something to prove maybe, I don't know. Um, mm -hmm. Well, and, I can uh, also safely tell you that uh, I've eaten at many Japanese restaurants around town. And when I was in Japan, curry was, I mean, curry is my number one, but I would eat at so many places in Japan, Kokuichi Banya, and then, you know, just countless places here and there. I have not found any place in in Albuquerque or even New Mexico that has tasted as close to Japanese curry as yours. And that's why oh, I keep returning so is because like it, it gives me the feeling of like this is the best I've had outside of being in Japan itself. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> I mean... So, yeah, don't feel like a fraud or anything by any means because you guys are nailing it. And I want to really stress that like, you know, I, I, I understand the sort of imposter syndrome of sort of like, well – is it really authentic because they get called out on it so much? But no, let me, let me, let me tell you. Well, thank you so much. I mean, yeah, it's something we work on. I mean, I mean, it's, it's my, sort of my kind of personality is I, um, you know, I'm really <laughs> about things. I really want to get it right. And, uh, yeah. the curry, the curry changes every week. And that's something I think people don't understand is that, um, you know, you kind of, you were asking me before, um, I mean, we, you know, we change the menu up a lot and do things short term. We, you know, who knows how long the, the baking curry is going to be available for because it's, I get kind of bored and I want, or I keep wanting to try to improve things all the time. That makes and, sense. And uh, yeah, and the curry is really exactly the same thing. Uh, the process of making a curry is actually changes by the week uh, and the recipe has, um, changes um, pretty frequently actually, um, you know, and uh it's interesting. I mean, I think people really love us for consistency, but um, for us, it's actually always sort of a, a work in progress here. You know, um, we've had, you know, we've changed the curry recipe uh, at this point uh, numerous times, maybe sort of the fundamental sort of like uh, process, how we make it. Um, so it, it, you know, there's a lot of things that going, we're not, um, for me, I mean, I'm, I think things are changing every single day. You know, how we make things, we try to improve every single day here. Um, sure. And that's just, just how we do it here. Sure. And I actually think that's a great philosophy. I think for a restaurant, the moment you start getting complacent in making, like, your, your food and it becomes boring, I think, as far as I'm concerned, it would make it uh, uh, reasonable to want to say, well, how do we keep this going so we can keep making it interesting and more exciting, not just for the, the people who are eating sure. it, but for yourselves i know people sort of have expectations when it comes to well i want the same thing but it's just as important for you guys to make food that i think gives people the same feeling but you get to do it differently you know yeah absolutely um yeah absolutely i mean working in sort of the hospitality i mean it's you know it's really all about wanting to serve people and wanting to give them what they want you know right. um but at the same time, there's um, wanting them to kind of 
you know, sort of our vision and what, what we think food can be, you know, and really challenging people to um, go out of their sort of comfort zone. You know, um, I want the experience here to, to be that, you know, of um, something more interesting than that, you know, something that you can't just get anywhere else. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Perfect. Um, well, fantastic. So I've only got a handful of questions left for you. Uh, we're, we're getting down to like the sort of last part of this uh, podcast, but I wanted to ask you five questions. Okay. Okay. Uh, one of them I'm super curious about, but uh, I want to know if you could recommend to anybody a book, a book that has either changed your life or a book that really resonated with you, a book mm -hmm. that was just really just for whatever reason, a book that you could recommend to anybody right now. Do you have a book in mind? A book in mind right now. Oh yeah. man. <laughs> I know. I'm very on the spot, right? Jeez. Um, man, that's really hard. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I read a lot, but I read, you know, um, let's see a book in mind right now. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, I love, <laughs> um, um, Catcher in the Rye for whatever reason is, Catcher is the something Rye. that I, sure. I, 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 that's probably one of my favorite books of all time. Just um, a really good work. Okay. Catcher in the Rye. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that's hard to say. I mean, it, my, my re readings have sort of changed so dramatically. I mean, I used to read a lot of, um, you know, art books and I'm not sure people would be really interested in that, but like sure. Susan Sontag, of course, and, uh, you know, sort of philosophy of, of photography and history of photography something i'm really interested in um mm -hmm. but now i mean my interests have changed so much i mean i don't really read a whole lot of like art books or anything my reading now has all been about fly fishing that's kind of what oh, okay. <laughs> what i've been reading a lot yeah so it's it's kind of it's like my my recommendation would be be so wild weird you know that i don't think people <laughs> would be really be able to oh but that's what's kind of great though is i mean it's it's fun to sort of get an insight as to like what makes you tick and not like hey i need sure. to make this you know general uh, recommendation um is there a fly fishing book that for some reason just captures your interest the most um uh, yeah i mean i love uh taos fly shop shout out to taos that's why that's my hat that i'm wearing now um but Sweet. that's probably one of the most recent books i read it was um uh it's a book through taos fly shop um i think it's called the instinctive fly fisher i think is the book um okay. that i've read um yeah, I mean, again, I'm in, I mean, so, you know, I'm really come from, you know, so photography, I mean, I come into the world of fine arts and photography, and that really, you know, in photography, photo books are, you know, are huge, and photography books is kind of what I've collected for a long, long time, you know, yeah. and I used to work for a uh, bookseller, you know, that sold uh, photography books and art books, and so I, you know, um, I'm really interested in um art history books and art books in general but really uh artists and stuff um that i love like you know i mean i don't know there's just so many i don't know who, who uh, what kind of recommendation it seems like it was such sure. a wild thing well, but, right. um, this is what's kind of fun is like it doesn't need to be any it could be specific to you or it could be what you recommend yeah. catcher in the rye susan sontag like i think that's great i think it's a, a a good set of recommendations that sort of cover a small spectrum so, All right. <laughs> oh, perfect. Okay. And now, what about like a, a movie or a TV show? I don't know if you watch a lot of movie or TV. Ooh, uh, you know, I but watch, like, if there's, uh, is there anything you've been sort of obsessing over recently? Oh man, I've obsessed about so many things. It's so funny because in this kitchen, that's all. <laughs> I mean, um, 
Man, okay, there's so many shows. Uh, let's see. Um, I got really into The Sopranos for a minute there. Um, oh, again, wow, I have like an obsession. I know. I have. Um, I am this. I I have this like you know. I have an addiction to things. So like, if I start a show, I have to finish it. And so, I basically been watching Sopranos uh, for like. Oh man, that was a yeah. The Sopranos are good. Uh, I love talking about um, sort of like televisions and movies, media in general, um, and sort of the theories behind the characters and stuff. Uh, the Sopranos, of course, I watch. Um, Game of Thrones, uh, throwback, but I've been watching Game of Thrones a lot. Uh, I've watched the whole thing. Um, man, I'm Hal Stark, you know? Like, if I had a, it's like, <laughs> um, let's see, Curb Your Enthusiasm, uh, Larry oh, David. That's, that's a stressful show. Cool. I love watching it, but I feel stressed yeah. out by it all the time. <laughs> Dude, yeah, totally. And um, I think, <laughs> um, yeah, I I think that's what I love about it is that it's it's like every situation that someone you, you definitely have gone through to a certain extent and uh, yeah. to to rewatch it and be able to watch it um, and laugh at it it's kind of yeah, kind of great you know take a step back um, from reality but yeah it's also too relatable yeah. the problem it's like I know this these people I know this guy totally, I've met this Larry yeah. David person in many different people before. Oh, totally. And I started thinking that I am Larry David, you know, and I just oh, no. feel like, yeah. <laughs> the older you get, I think the more you also start to relate to it as well. I'll tell you that much. Totally. Totally. <laughs> okay. And now here's one I've been thinking about for a while, because yeah. I don't know how often you eat the food that you create, if you make food for yourself often. But in, when it comes to like a favorite food, and I mean, mm-hmm. you could say your own food and I would totally understand, but I'm curious as to if you're not surrounded by Magokuro recipes, what is your, what is your food of choice? Local restaurant, it could be frozen pizza, like it could be whatever it is that like you're just sort of your go-to. Oh man. So I mean, usually I get out of here kind of late, right? So, uh, and I never want to eat my own food. That just doesn't happen. <laughs> you know? Hate yeah. cooking for myself. Don't I partake love in your own food. stash. No, no, it's. It, it's so boring, you know. Uh, I love when people <laughs> cook for me. That's my favorite meal. Um, okay. <laughs> but yeah, um, usually, you know, I get out of here. It's kind of late. Most places are kind of closing or stuff closed. And so, it, dude, it's a lot of junk food, honestly. I think like yeah. there's a exception that like, you know, chefs eat really well or something. And that's just not true. I think like, you know, if you're, if you're a real chef, you're probably eating a lot of junk food, uh, <laughs> a lot of quick, easy things. You may sure. just like, I'll just go home sometimes, man, and I'll just, uh, <laughs> it's just a lot of, like, quick, easy junk foods. Uh, uh, geez, man. Uh, I've, been into, I've been in a weird quesadilla um, kick right now, and so, like, I'll go home, and uh, I'll just make, like, tons of quesadillas at home because it's fast. It's Super easy. fast. Sure. Yeah. Are, are, are you still, are you still making these food. from scratch, or are you just buying, like, frozen ones and heating them up? You're going to Taco Bell, Taco Cabana, like... Oh man. Okay. So it's bad. I get, um, I used to, yeah, I'll get into this, this phase where, uh, we'll be eating a lot of Taco Bell or a lot of like, so I was going through the thing where I was eating a lot of McDonald's and then I think I finally got over that. Sure. And so, yeah, now I'm on to, I'm on to Taco Bell and then, um, and just cooking at home a lot. Now I'm trying to focus more on, on just, just cooking out, eating, eating out a little bit less, less junk food, trying to, sure. try to take, myself a little bit but um it's also another thing i mean i take a lot of comfort in food you know um if i'm having a bad day then i'm i'm at home just just you know binge eating and uh 
trying to feel a little better. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's everything in between. Okay. Okay. But it sort of sounded like you cited quesadilla as a sort of being like that sort of number one, like that's your current vice. Current vice. Yeah. And then, um, it was little season for a minute there. Oh, the five fast and easy. <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> yeah. The grab and go. Yeah, that's my thing, dude. Totally. Totally. Convenience is king in a world of madness. Yeah. <clears throat> Okay, perfect. And now uh, this is what I kind of wanted to cycle back to. You touched up on growing up with some Pokemon, but what about a favorite video game? I have to. Of course I have to ask this one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, favorite video game. I mean, so yeah, grew up Pokemon was huge. You know, I I was like crazy into it. Um, Sure. Crazy into Pokemon. And then... um, And then for a while, but my mom is kind of interesting is that like, so we have like Game Boys, right? But um, she didn't let us play anything else. Like PlayStation, Xbox, that was out of the question. Like I didn't, so I've never owned my own sort of like console, like, right? Like no PlayStation I've ever owned. My brother really is the one who really got into like PlayStation and and, uh, he got his first sort of PlayStation when we were in like um, middle school or something, maybe starting high school. She just didn't allow it in the house. but dude, I've taken up uh, playing a lot of Switch, Nintendo Switch. Uh, that's sort of my during, especially during when COVID happened. I oh, bought sure. one of those, and I, that's all I was doing. Um, Breath of the Wild, Zelda. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> dude, I've been just like, yeah, I'm so excited for the second one to come out, I and mean, I feel like I've just been, you know, waiting forever. Oh uh, uh, yeah, it's been five years at least. I mean, since the original came out, and also one of my favorite games of all time. Is it coming? Is it is the second one actually coming? So they recently did say that it was finally coming, I believe, spring of next year. They actually gave like a solid date. They delayed it like twice. Uh, but I believe we're looking at like April or May or something of next year. I can't remember offhand, but it's 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 close. Oh yeah. So they say. But I mean I'm I'm gonna say with good faith this time. It's almost here. Yeah. <laughs> but a yeah, good choice. Good choice. That game I could sink oh, myself so into good. for hundreds so of hours. Good. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Oh, good. Okay. <clears throat> and now one final one, and one of the most important ones to me is, if you could just give anybody a piece of advice, what do you got? Um, don't work in a restaurant. <laughs> <I'm just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, piece of advice, huh? I don't know. Yeah. Um, do what you're passionate about. Follow your heart. Um, at the end of the day, I think that's what it is. It's like, if you just got to do things that you're passionate about. Um, that's kind of how I'm trying to live my life. You know, I'm trying to do things that I'm only, you know, passionate about. And um, that's sort of always been my compass, you know, and to, to follow. And, um, and I think that's kind of all what I, what I care about, you know, is, is following my heart and, and doing what I love. That's, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, a beautifully simple philosophy, but I think it sometimes gets lost that, like, if you aren't truly passionate about doing something, you will struggle with it in the long run, sure. especially. Yeah. I mean, that's, this has been a, a fantastic, there's been a lot of insight into how difficult it is to, to run your own business, to run a restaurant. I can't even imagine the stresses of a restaurant. You know, mine has its own unique uh, set of challenges, but, like, sure. what you have to do is stressful beyond my comprehension and uh, so i'm really impressed and very proud of how you've been able to to do this and handle this the kind of pressures that must come with it but um 
uh, amazing job. You guys are doing great. And uh, is this something you feel like you're going to do for the foreseeable future, or is there something else on the horizon someday? Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, fair. I mean, the dessert shop was kind of a uh, kind of our step towards that, you know, trying to still work in food, but still, you know, something really different. Sure. And um, I don't really know. Um, that's and that's the thing about here in Oakland for me is I think things change um, pretty rapidly and pretty uh, dramatically. And um, who knows? I don't know. We may be here forever. We may not. Um, yeah, that's fair. That's you know, it's, it's kind of a big question. But um, yeah. I just know that for the for the time being, it's much appreciated what you do and how well you guys do it. So thank you so much. Absolutely. So I want to thank you for being uh, part of this. But also uh, one final thing is, is there any uh, social media where people can find you? I think you have an Instagram page and um, uh, I don't know if you guys like do Twitter or anything like that at all. Yeah, I mean, we don't do Twitter, but we are on Instagram. Um, we're pretty lazy about it. Not me. I mean, like, <laughs> well, me, I'm the lazy one. Um, sure. Hunsik, uh, my wife, um, she she manages a lot of that. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's a good place to follow us. And follow us at our dessert shop, too, at the time. said We haven't been open for a little while, but, um, you know, we're trying to – we may reopen. Who knows? Uh, but that's the place to get all your information uh, and what's happening at the shop. Um, so, um yeah, we do have like a Facebook and things like that, but we're not active on that. So Instagram is kind of the way to get a hold of us. Or that you know, makes sense. Okay, mmmagokuroabq.com, I believe, is your website uh, for is, ordering yep. food and getting hours and all that kind of stuff. Okay, mm -hmm. so we got Magokuro and Tonari no Mise. Yep, perfect. Yeah, perfect. Excellent. Uh, so yeah, Seda, uh, thanks again for being a part of this podcast and being a guest. I've been looking greatly forward to this one for for a while um and i want to thank you uh for helping create humanity thank so, you thanks for having me on absolutely uh thank you all for listening and uh we'll see you next time <laughs>